Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're <laughs> listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm editor Vivian Kelly. Joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is news editor Paul Warbane. Hi there, Viv. Senior agencies reporter Abigail Dawson. Hello. Senior media reporter Zoe Samios. Hello. And deputy editor Josie Tutty. Hello. We're making it a quick one this week because we're sure you have places to go and people to socialise with. So, this week's topics. The final radio ratings for 2018 are in. The most complained about ad of the year. The Stefanovic Brothers exit nine. The Mumbrella audience selects their ad of the year and it's Christmassy. So this week we finally made it to the last radio ratings survey of the year. And in a crossover between television and radio, if you speak to the executives, everyone's a winner, everything's up and everything's great. So Zoe, you speak to all the radio programmers and the radio bosses. What's actually going on behind these headline wins? Look, I think behind every headline win is an element of truth. But when you want to see the real story, you obviously can't take what they say at surface level, as is always the case. This survey, I didn't actually get the chance to speak to Triple M's head of content, Mike Fitzpatrick, or uh, Hit Network's head of content, Gemma Fordham. They were both unavailable. But what I did manage to do and what I decided to do a little differently this survey was to look back at those major changes that had been put in place at the beginning of the year and actually see if after eight surveys, which for most of them is enough to know if a show's working, whether or not they were working. And that's what I was able to tell this week. So Jace and PJ are the hosts of Kiss FM Breakfast in Melbourne. Mm. I've heard a lot of speculation that actually as a duo and as a program in terms of the content that they put out to market, they would work much better in Drive. But in Drive is Will and Woody. So breakfast it is for now for Jace and PJ. What's your perspective on that and how are they tracking a year in? Look, Jason PJ probably not tracking as well as their programming boss Duncan Campbell would like them to be. That said, it's not as they're not significantly down across the year compared to the former Kiss FM breakfast hosts in Melbourne, Michelle Laurie, Michelle Laurie and Matt Tilly. So I think from memory, they're sitting around a, a, just over a five share at the moment. I think Madam Michelle last year finished just above a six share. So you're looking at a bit over one point difference, but. By comparison, if you look at the drive show host, Will and Woody, and what I saw, and I won't get into the details of the numbers, you can read my article or look at my graphs, but uh, Will and Woody were down in every single market in Australia compared to where KISS FM was last year. And the KISS FM drive show hosts last year were Dave Hughes and Kate Lambroke, who are now on Hit Network. So what we definitely saw was a come off from Will and Woody, probably more so than Jason PJ. Jason PJ tended to recover. And then, of course, down in Melbourne as well, uh, ARN decided to change their other station, the Pure Gold Network. They put in a UK breakfast radio host, Christian O'Connell, in the breakfast slot down in Melbourne. What we've seen is that's actually finished on a higher note than Joe Stanley and Anthony Lehman. So from that perspective, it definitely looks like that that would have been a huge investment for ARN and at least after four surveys because Christian came early in the year, it seems to be paying off. And what about, just to jump back to Jason PJ, because I know that when we were down at the Radio Awards in Melbourne earlier this year, Jason PJ were seen sneaking off from the ARN after party and going to meet up with the aforementioned Gemma Fordham, who is the head of 
content for rival hit network. Now, was that a case of things to come in 2019 or is that just rivals being friends, catching up for a drink at a big industry function? Look, Gemma Fordham's been very open about the fact that she used to work at uh, the same station as Jason PJ over in New Zealand. She actually formed the duo. So there's definitely history there. There's definitely a friendship there as well. Whether or not they go over in 2019, I definitely don't think that's the case. 2020, I think, will be the year to watch because I think most of the shows that were given investment, they were given by long-term contract, they they mean at least two years. So we're going to have to see, and we've seen it with Today FM, people giving a two-year go and then perhaps changing over. I'm not sure what uh, Dave Hughes and Kate Lambrook's plan is if, if SCA wanted to put them into drive at some point, or maybe it is just a friendship. But I think it is important to realize that there is a very close relationship between Gemma and those guys. So don't be shocked if anything later down the track goes in the favour of Hit Network. And speaking of the Hit Network, they had quite a tumultuous year. So it seems to have somewhat settled for Sydney Breakfast with Ed Cavalier, Grant Denyer, and now the confirmation that Ash London is coming on board permanently to replace M. Rusciano. We were all sort of under the impression through the industry rumour mill that Ash London didn't want to do breakfast. So what's happened here? Have they just thrown a lot of money at her? Is she only going to stick it out for a year? Have they convinced her that it's worth it? And will she be there in 2020? My view is that she won't be there in 2020. I think that station, and we've spoken about it on this podcast so many times, has really struggled with consistency to the point that as a listener, you almost are like, oh, I don't even care anymore. I can't even keep up who's on. So by putting in Ash London, and, and she's kept the figures relatively stable as well since she she came on board replacing Emeril Shiano, having her in there at least for 12 months gives them the chance to really think through what they're going to do in 2020, gives them the time that they probably need to find permanent breakfast hosts who are actually invested. And are not, the, the, the other thing to consider here is it's, it really can't be about money. Breakfast radio is a really hard gig and to get someone to do it permanently, you want people that are super, super passionate. Fortunately, radio is filled with people that are really passionate, but it will be interesting to see what they come up with in 2020. I would be shocked if it was the same three hosts at the beginning of, uh, if we were talking about this in a year's time. And one final radio highlight, Macquarie Sports Radio got an asterisk in one city. From memory, that was Melbourne. Melbourne Breakfast, Correct. What does an asterisk in radio ratings mean? It means that their share of total people listening was so low it didn't even appear as 0.1% of total listening, which effectively means that whoever's listening, it's a really, really, really small amount of people. Imagine if you were the person listening and you realised that all you registered as is an asterisk. What a blow to the ego. <laughs> Definitely a blow. Uh, coming up next, we talk about the most complained about ad of the year. So this week was one of our favourite weeks of the year because we get to see what ads have been upsetting consumers the most with Ad Standards releasing the top 10 most complained about ads of the year. We get sent a list of the top 10 from memory. So Abby, who were the worst offenders in 2018 according to consumers? So there was actually a record 
number of complaints for a couple of ads this year. And the ad that had the most complaints to the ad standards board was Sportsbet. And that was for an ad which featured a man shown from the waist up, in quotes, manscaping in the bathroom with his leg on a chair shaving his genitals. I really enjoyed your description of that, Abby. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, And that received a whopping 793 complaints. And I think from memory that is the most complained about ad since ad standards started. So that ad was actually upheld as well. Uh, And when you say upheld, you mean that the complaints were upheld. So the ad wasn't Return, didn't return to television. No, no. Um, so, yeah, the, the ad was effectively banned. So with that ad, I mean, it's a bit uncomfortable and it's a bit gross, but to my mind it's not that bad. Like you don't actually see his genitals. You don't see what's happening. And I know that one of the complaints said that it implied that he was masturbating, which is definitely, definitely not the case. And then I think the ad standards found that it didn't treat sort of nudity and sexuality in a manner that was appropriate when it might be seen by children. But I just didn't think it was that sexual. In fact, I found it thoroughly unsexual. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I think when you think about some of the ads that have been on been on air this year and, you know, Ultra Tunes, one that comes to mind and, and did make that list but, you know, wasn't in the top three, that to me is an ad that does more damage than, you know, you don't really see anything except some hairy legs and a razor. Like <laughs> it doesn't seem that offensive. So I sort of was quite shocked Mm. when I saw 793 complaints. I do wonder when you get that many complaints about an ad that it's just been posted on some parenting forum somewhere Mm. and and people are just going, go on, go and complain about this ad. It's terrible. Who like It's just ridiculous. But you you do just think, how can 700 people all decide that this very short ad, which probably didn't even appear that many times, is you know, it's so bad. I think also one of the other things is that gambling ads trigger people, particularly sports fans, because they really dislike gambling ads. And so when when they get a little bit upset, they're more likely to complain about them because they've been triggered. I think the second most complained about ad, though, was iSelect, and that featured a woman who found out her premiums had gone up at a children's birthday party and she quite aggressively attacks the piñata Again, that was found to be violent and inappropriate for children, but I rewatched it just before this podcast and I think it's just not that bad. It's resolved in the end in that she stops being aggressive because someone puts her on the phone to iSelect, so she breathes a sigh of relief. Also, the whole point of a piñata is that you is hit to, it. Is to hit and it. And it's designed for kids to hit. Exactly. If she ran around smacking the children, I would say totally. But And, again, the kids get a kick out of it because they then run and excitedly grab all the chocolate. So I think to Abby's earlier point, the Ultra Tune ad, which features convicted rapist Mike Tyson, which was complained about but not banned, is far worse than this iSelect ad that was banned. I just think, you know, that there are bigger fish to fry in terms of issues in, in advertising. And and uh, I think a point that was 
made by ad standards and some complaints is that the children watching this woman hit the piñata looked frightened and that's where the issue the issue was because they looked scared at her aggressively hitting a piñata and then you know there were some complaints about animal cruelty which i believed were dismissed um because <laughs> it's not an animal <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah it it does make you make you wonder what triggers people so much uh, in these ads, because you know, I personally think that the ad, you know, I wrote it up in an Easter ad wrap and sort of didn't expect anything from it, and people went nuts. Now, the only other ads that were banned on this list, uh, in terms of the top 10 most complained about ads of the year, were ads for horror films, so uh, Venom and Halloween from memory. But were there any other highlights on the list in terms of what were upsetting people out there? Uh, another interesting one, uh, which which beat Ultratune, came in at number three, was was actually Burley, uh, when they did the ads of balls bouncing around in the shapes of breasts, essentially, and that that ad, the the complaints, sorry, were dismissed, so the ad was was allowed to air, but that got 135 complaints, so significantly less than 793 <laughs> and 716. But uh, you know, I still think 135 complaints for that as well was 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 surprising however i was expecting it because that is a tactic that the monkeys often use who who's the creative agency that created the ad and that burley has also used in the past well one thing we can be sure of is that i'm sure people will be complaining again in 2019 So this week, the Daily Mail and the tabloid magazines of Australia can rejoice that they were correct about something with Carl Stefanovic being let go from the Today Show just one day after his brother, Peter Stefanovic, announced that he would be leaving Nine Network altogether after 15 years. Now, this all comes on the back of lots and lots of tabloid fodder with the Stefanovic brothers allegedly being overheard in an Uber, whinging about Nine Management and new Today Show co-host Georgie Gardner, Today Show's tumbling ratings, Carl Stefanovic's tumultuous personal life, which has resulted in him not being as loved by the everyday mums of Australia, apparently. So, Zoe, what does this all mean for Nine? It's been great for the tabloid magazines... Great for everyone on social media finding excellent screen grabs of Carl Stefanovic's many, many faces. <laughs> but do that many people even watch breakfast television? Does it matter who's sitting in that chair? That's a really tough question because if you looked at something like Oztam's overnight ratings, you'd probably say no. Those shows, Sunrise, Seven's version and and the Today Show are averaging anywhere between 150,000 Metro viewers to 300,000 Metro viewers, which when we write about the block, for instance, that averages a million viewers by comparison. What I would say, though, is that those people in those positions tend to be figureheads for other things that Nine do. And so when you're in that seat, like Georgia Gardner and Carl Stefanovic was and Lisa Wilkinson as well, you become almost not, I wouldn't say the face of Nine, but a very important and fundamental part of the Nine family. And what you do is always up for scrutiny. If you do the wrong thing, everyone knows about it. And and it's it becomes far more than the women or men that are sitting there watching 
that show early in the morning, they kind of become this thing that everyone knows about and, and are featured across a number of platforms and, and highly talked about in, in the tabloids, as you mentioned. Now, the mainstream press is speculating that the straw that broke the camel's back was actually Carl's recent extravagant wedding in Mexico and the fact that the people that are watching today just can't identify with that kind of extravagance and that kind of celebration. And then he also sold the photos to Who magazine, which is owned by Nine's rival Seven West Media. So it felt like a number of missteps, but we can't get away from the fact that the Today ratings have been tumbling. So Carl Stefanovic had a rapid rise and from what I hear, he was loved by the execs. But I have a friend who religiously watches the Today Show even though she hates it, which is so bizarre to me. And I said to her, like, <laughs> why do you keep watching it? And she said, oh, it's so terrible. The chemistry between Carl and Georgie is awful. <laughs> it pains me. It makes me cringe. But, you know, like that's just what I do. I just watch Today. It's part of my routine. So there's obviously, and this is a very intelligent woman, but she can't stop watching it even though she hates it. It's like mm. watching a morning car crash. Yes. <laughs> Eventually, though, she might wake up and stop waking up with Today. So how important is the chemistry going to be with Carl's replacement? I think it's going to be really important and there's obviously been a bit of speculation, I think, in this, the Australian this week about having an all-female lineup. I think Carl's problem, well, there's probably a number of different problems, one being that it was fairly well known that he and Georgie Gardner did not get along, the other being that he complained about nine executives, and, and two, uh, for, I know in Peter, his brother's case, his contract was up. So no matter, even if the Uber incident of earlier on in the year pissed him off, they just figured, oh, we'll just keep keep it all professional, keep it chill, let's just get to the end of the year. What they're going to need now are people that at least – genuinely like each other and that's the same thing that we talk about in radio and why certain radio shows don't work there's no chemistry people can see straight through it and you're just gonna they it for the today show that already doesn't have a huge audience it will suffer what people want to see is that people are getting along in some capacity that doesn't have to be an all-female cast i know that that might be what they go with but ultimately what you can't have is before the show even commences with georgie gardner people going yeah but carl hates her that's not what you want. You want to be able to at least think that people are getting along. I think too, coming back to your point, Viv, with um, with Carl, is that his marital problems, given that the agent, given that the audience of the Today Show tends to skew older and female, that anecdotally I'd heard had gone down really poorly. Those marital problems of Carl's with the um, with that core audience, and on top of that, then running away with a younger woman, uh, having a big extravagant um, wedding in Mexico, really ticked all the wrong boxes for that audience. They'd hate that sort of thing. Yeah, I think a lot of the audience were resonating with his ex-wife, Cassandra, and I heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I did hear that he, Carl, then got some media training to try and win back the mums of Australia. And I don't watch the Today Show, but I have a number of media insiders who tell me that they watched it after he had the media training to see the effect it would have, and he would start relating any story back to the mums of Australia, but that it was so ridiculous and so transparent. So it wouldn't be like they're talking about the school drop-off and then he talks about the mums of Australia. It would be like they'd be speaking about the coal mines and then he'd try and bring it back to the suburban mums of Australia or they'd be speaking about African poverty and he'd go, yeah, well, the mums of Australia. <laughs> now, look, I haven't watched the tapes. I don't know if it's true, but if that happened, I can see why it wasn't working because – 
the mums of Australia would have been able to see through that and they just would have been thinking, shut up, Carl. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall in those media <laughs> training sessions? Those? And, and let's put a call out to anybody who may have a tip on how that went <laughs> to please get in contact with us. It's important to note that Carl is, unlike his brother Peter, still contracted 2-9 and he's scheduled to commence filming the second part, I think, of this time next year in February. So we will probably see him on our screens on nine later next year. But then do we think that's it for Carl? Do we think it's just that they're halfway through that show because it takes obviously a year to film, they've got to do the intros, Mm. give people a year to transform and then film the reunion. Once that's done, is it just goodbye, Carl? I think probably. I don't know the dynamic between nine and Carl and if it's all up it's all about keeping keeping an image, which is so often the case in television. But he definitely had signed on for a second season. They did the first bit, as, as you mentioned, uh, this year. They need to run and record the rest of it. I think they'll be looking at the TV ratings very closely because if it's an incredibly well-performing show – I think it would be hard for Nine to go, actually, we're not going to do it. Or they might take the format and, and get Carl out of there. But it will really be dependent on, I think, how how that show works. Because if that show's a flop, well, it's it's going to be pretty easy to, to not bring him back and not bring the show back. If the show delivers, well, I think they've got a tough case on their hands because it definitely looks like the relationship between Nine and Carl or, and the Stefanovics more broadly is quite fractured. And finally... The Mumbrella audience has voted on their favourite ad of the year, with Maya taking the top spot after also winning the battle in November. Yes, so we opened up uh, our out of the year votes last Friday. So they've been open for almost a week and we received close to 3,000 votes and Maya just killed it dominated it and it's not as if there wasn't stiff competition they were you know up against at Clems's AFL work the budget direct ad um they also went up again against Apple's same-sex marriage ad which launched at the start of the year and and yeah I mean it 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 was the clear winner uh for sure budget direct coming in second place do we think it won just because it's fresher in people's minds in that that same-sex marriage ad was so powerful and it really resonated with people when it came out. But now it's a bit old. We can't really remember the emotional effect it had on us, whereas the November uh, Christmas Maya campaign with the baubles is still going. So are people just voting for, oh, yeah, I saw that on TV, that was good? I mean, that's a, it's a very good question and, and there, there certainly is a possibility of that. Uh, having said that, all the ads are embedded in the story so I don't know if people take time to actually watch them or not but I I do think you know for those who are voting within Adland and and that there would be a, a strong number of people that that do do that they're going to remember their favorite ads of the year and if they're on that list you know just seeing the name of the brand be it Westpac budget direct or or Maya I are still going to recognize that and and want to vote for that so you know it, it is also it, it's hard to know what percentage was voting from the general population and what percentage was voting from within Adland. But, yeah, I mean, people just really loved this ad. Now, we don't have a guest this week, but I think we might be having maybe a potential caller call in just now. Sneak attack. This is so spontaneous. We're just doing this all so spontaneously. (laughs) Um, Who is it, Abby? 
Look, I'm just going to give Simon Lamplough a, a bit of a buzz. He's the managing director at Clemenger Melbourne, who's the agency behind the Maya Bauble ad. And we might just get him to talk about his reaction to winning and see how, see what he thinks. Hey, Abby. How are you doing? Hey, Simon. How are you going? So congratulations on, on winning out of the year for your Maya Bauble ad. It, it was an ad that was absolutely uh, killed it, I, w- I would say. Um, how are you feeling about this? Oh, fantastic. Obviously, it's, um, it's great news. I'm, I'm delighted for the, for the Maya team. I, I, I'm somewhat um, caught, I guess, in that we had, you would know, we had, we had three horses in the race, so we had some work for Aboriginal Victoria and some work for the AFL. Um, in the race amongst others as well. So, uh, you know, disappointed for them, but someone had to win and, and on that basis I'm, I'm thrilled. It's, it's mine. It's definitely a deserved winner. And do you want to maybe talk me through how this campaign came to life and, and where and how the idea was born from? Yeah, I, I mean, the campaign, I guess, was was pretty simple. The, the, the brief was pretty simple. Um, Maya, like like all retailers, uh, you know, see Christmas as a key period. I, I think Christmas represents something like forty percent of of their half year sales, which which I'm sure is common for, for most Australian retailers. So um, the brief very simply was how do we get people thinking about and visiting Maya at that key at that key time? Um, and, and we were pretty keen, as as were our clients, not to follow the conventional, um, you know, film based Christmas emotive route. There were film components of the campaign, of course, but. At its heart, we wanted to do something in the real world, give people a real reason to come in store and, and visit, and, and in this case, buy something they otherwise wouldn't have. So um, we quite quickly came up with the idea of wanting to come up with a product and create something that would be a, a bestseller, something that people wanted. Um, and so we played off this, well, the idea, I guess, came from playing off this sort of well-understood tradition of, of Santa's naughty or nice list, kind of the threat, the casual threat that parents use on their kids. Um, in the run-up to Christmas, that if they're not behaving, Santa's going to find out and, and they won't get any presents. And so we thought we'd try and contemporise that and, and, and productize it. And so we came up with this idea of a, of a naughty or nice bauble, a kind of seemingly magical bauble that would glow red um, when kids were misbehaving and, and green when they were being good. Of course, it wasn't that magic. It was it was connected um, via Bluetooth to a smartphone and, and the parents could, could flip from green to red accordingly. Um, but, but that was that was kind of the ethos. And, and then really from there, it was about making the product, creating the product, getting it shipped and delivered, um, and um, I guess creating communications around that that um, brought it to life and got people, got people thinking and, and buying. And why do you think this ad was so popular? And sorry, I should say campaign because it wasn't really just an ad. But, yeah, yeah why do you it think it was? It wasn't just an ad, yeah. I, I, I think it just, it just caught that, that, that sort of national sentiment, I suppose, the mood of the mood of Christmas, this idea that I think parents just love the thought of being able to control their kids and, and at nineteen ninety five, you know, being able to control your kids for a month, that's that's kind of the bargain, right? Um, so the the, the the TBC itself was obviously it, it, it depicted imagery of kids behaving impossibly well. Um, so, you know, kids eating their greens and kids doing the chores and kids putting out the rubbish, etc. I think people just just loved that thought, you know, it caught caught the national sentiment and people sort of really related to it. So in very simple terms, I think that's why, why, why it worked so well. But it, it also, I guess, as a product, was, was appealing. Um, I mean, we sold out within two weeks, shifted huge volumes. Um, and and the, really, the really great bit about it from our perspective, actually, is, is yes, the product, yes, the comms, but most importantly is the data that now sits behind it. So at any given moment, we can tell um, how many baubles around Australia are currently glowing red. 
earned through um, paid social. So I haven't actually got the stats in front of me, but I know as of yesterday, 35% of Australia was, was currently being naughty. Um, I think Victoria <laughs> was, the, Victoria was the, the worst performing state. They were the naughtiest state, and um, ACT were the, were, were the nicest state. So there you go. Great. And did, did you have the agency testing this on all their kids? <laughs> we have. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got three young kids, and they're, um, they're currently on a tight leash. Um, behaving impeccably <laughs> thanks to thanks to the baubles, they wake up every morning and shake them and, and see whether they've been good or bad. So no, it's working beautifully for me. And yes, yes, we've had a few agency kids who've uh, who've trialled them too. Great. Well, thank you so much for being our impromptu podcast guest. We'll, but uh, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll celebrate accordingly. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye. Now that's it for this week's Mumbrella Cast. But if you were preparing yourself for some serious Mumbrella Cast withdrawal symptoms, don't worry because we have one more coming your way sometime between Christmas and New Year to tide you over in that strange never zone where everyone's bored and feeling sick from too much turkey and too much champagne. But for this week, thanks everyone. Thanks, Viv. Thanks, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ha, 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 ha.